We're in this in-between. We're going to start the Gospel of John next week, and we're going to go through that for however long it takes. I'm not sure. I'm kind of vacillating between a really long time and a medium time. I'm not really sure which one to use. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what's going on there in a moment, but using the in-between time to have some conversations that apply to the previous series, right? A little postscript on the series. And uh, the previous series was called Community Matters, and what is it like to be a, a faith family, and how does God design community, and what makes it difficult to live in community, but what has he given to us in his spirit to empower us to live in that community, and where is all of that headed? And then taking the two weeks to get us, uh, two weeks so that when we start the prologue of John, we're in December, and it feels Christmassy, because John 1 is like the Christmas, you know, 1 through 18, the Christmas time passage, so we'll go through that in December. Uh, but what do we talk about in between? And there are many things. Uh, but, but last week we spoke about church membership and, and why, what is church membership and is it even a biblical idea? And, and if so, you know, are, we, are we committed together as a faith family to be together and to serve together and to you know, like submit to leaders and to care for one another? Like, is that what we want to commit to? And my argument last week was, yeah, you should join a church if you're not. You should be in it. If it's this one, awesome. If it's another one, join that one. But we'd like just be in a church, commit yourself to it, and it will go well for you. So that was last week. And then this week, I thought, well, what are we talking about this week? And wanted to speak about corporate worship as, as an expression, and I would say a necessary expression of what that faith family does. Right? Like, so when we come together and we participate in a service, uh, we worship, like, what, what are we doing here and why do we even do that? And I have to admit, I come from the school of undervaluing gathered worship, even though I, I rarely miss. And that's kind of been that way for, well, you know, when you're a professional Christian, you can't miss a lot in general. Um, but but even with that, like, I think that that's that it was just something I, I've always, especially when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand what, what it meant to gather. I didn't understand even why we did. Because sometimes, like, people get together and they go, man, I really needed that. I needed that. And I'm like, well, wait, you know, what did you need? Like, I needed, I needed to sing like that, or I needed that energy, right? Like, I'm like, well, that's not, I don't know if that's why. I didn't need that. Right? We've got a lot of introverts in the room who don't need that. Uh, so, like, is that, is that what we need? Um, or, or you just kind of go, well, it's, it's, I, I probably thought of my, my Christian life, and sometimes still do at times, my Christian life is, a, is like a pie, and there's, you dole out pieces of pie, right, it's Thanksgiving, we'll talk about pie, but just imagine like a pie graph, not a, not a pumpkin pie. And, you know, so this percentage of time goes to my family, and this percentage of time goes to my community group, and this percentage of time goes to, like, you know, unbelievers in my life. And, 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 and really, corporate worship was just like, and it, it gets a sliver of that as well. And week to week, you kind of have to decide sometimes which pieces of pie you're going to eat. I said don't think it was pumpkin pie, but now, now we're eating the pie, so roll with it. Yeah, we got it. Pie bros. And I think what I was doing is I was making gathered worship. We'll just say it like that. Gathered worship, corporate worship. I don't mean just like the, the, the ceiling and the lights and the live stream, but the gathered worship of the saints, which has happened forever since the Lord has, you know, ascended. The saints have gathered, not just on a day, but day by day. But they do gather on a day. And I, and I, and I probably... 
made that environment a lot about what I wanted out of it or what I, would, what I thought I could get from it. I'm sure you've been there. You just kind of go, well, I'm just not, you know, the preacher's not doing it for me or the worship's not doing it for me or, you know, the kids' ministry didn't offer enough and there aren't enough programs, you know, while the service is going on. And so we're kind of making it about, like, what, what do I get out of it? And now don't hear me. Yeah, we don't want you to show up and then leave every Sunday and be like, that was miserable, but I'm going to keep going. Like, that's no one's goal. But I was making gathering together about me and not the Lord, and, and, and I was making it about what I, what I got out of something. I think on both fronts, right? It's not about the Lord, it's about me and what I get out of it. That's wrong. And I'm still in this process of learning then why, what is right. But I thought, let's take a, let's take a Sunday Right? We're in the hyper-saturated Bible belt. Like I said last week, you can throw a rock and hit a church member, if not a church. And being together can be hard. Sometimes it can even feel you know, superfluous or a hindrance to just enjoying life together. Enjoying our life. You know, i got all these other things I want to do. Sunday's a great boat day or Sunday's a great whatever day. Like I have these other things I want to do and I want to, you know, Sunday's a good time for that. And the world knows that, too, because they're going to stack activities on your Sundays as well. Well, a lot of people are free on Sundays. Let's just put something in there. Right? So, so we kind of have this day. And I was talking specifically about the day, not, not all the things that church believe, you know, believers do together. Right? We have all these other expressions day in and day out that we want to have, but, but the time together to remember the Lord, to worship him. Like, well, why that? Why that? I'm not just talking about you know, this is our service flow for today, okay? These are the songs, here's Johnny, there are the songs, here's me. I get the biggest chunk, which is always dangerous. Um, then here's communion, here's another song, right? I, I, we have this every week, and what are we going through? What are we doing? What are we planning on? We have that. I don't just mean that. I don't mean walking into 19315 Ella Boulevard, but, but the gathered worship of the saints, why do it? Why do it here? Why do it in Afghanistan? Why do it anywhere? Why do that? And the answer isn't just because, well, that's just what you do. Because the inquisitive mind goes, why? Why that? Like, like you know what? Why only that? Or why just that? Or why do we do that? And, and you know, what's, what's wrong with not showing up? I'm just highlighting, so highlighting the need to be gathered together in worship. Why do we gather? Why does it matter? That's what we'll be in. And we're going to build an argument here. Ever done that? We're going to go, hey, let's look at what's going on, and let's see why it might matter to be together regularly as a church family. And in that, I will discuss, kind of early on in the beginning, what happens during pandemic life where churches across the globe stop. Like, stop that gathered thing. Uh, so, like, that's going to be in there as well. Because if you argue, hey, it's good to be together, and then you go, if not good, but great and important, right, then, like, that's like taking food away. So, so, so we're trying to kind of go, well, got to answer that question, too, or at least process that thought as we're talking about it. And so we're going to kind of go into, wade into this world of uh, worshiping as a church family. That worship matters. And let's just start with the day. Many people probably know this, but let's just start with the day. Why, why Sunday? It's not because there's a weekend. Uh, it's because though the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday, on the seventh day he rested. That would be a Saturday for us, even though we think we, our kind of lives revolve around the weekend. In fact, Sunday was the day Jesus rose, and so they started very early. In fact, so early you don't know that they ever didn't do it. 
the church started very early to gather on the first day of the week. Remember, the Lord rested on the last day of the week, Saturday. That was the Jewish Sabbath for, you know, six days you work and then you rest. But the Lord rose on the first day of the week, and you see very early the witness of early disciples gathering together on Sunday. For example, let's just go to the Lord rising on the first day of the week, John 20. Gospel of John 21. Now, we might be in John 21 like in 2023. So uh, you're getting a little preview of what's going to happen if you stick it out. Let's just look at this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, that seems important. Stone's gone, but also notice the highlight of on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week. That they couldn't, they, they couldn't be a burial on the Sabbath, so they had to get buried really quickly, right? Day one, Saturday, day two. Then day three being first day of the week. So we've gone day five, or day six, day seven, and now day one. And so there's this adjustment, right? On the first day of the week, they're going to go, because now they can, the Sabbath is over, they can go and they can uh, prepare the body, they can go, look, and the stones rolled away. Uh, they can, they're like, what's happening here? Well, you guys know the story. Jesus isn't in the tomb. But what that moment did was become a guiding reason that the saints would gather because the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. And so the church began to gather on the first day of the week. The believers began to gather. Now, not exclusively the first, but significantly the first. Gather the first day of the week. You see this a couple of times. I'll give you two examples in the book of Acts, though there are more. Let's look at two examples, one in Acts, one in 1 Corinthians. First, we see just gathering to hear, break bread, which would likely mean communion, not just eat, but likely mean communion, remember the Lord. Acts chapter 20, we went to Acts chapter 20 last week, but before Paul is in Ephesus, he's actually in Troas, and he is, I believe Troas, but he is now speaking, and he talks too long like any preacher does. They're up in this room, and they're, they're teaching. He's staying in Troas. He's trying to leave. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, you read, on the first day of the week. Why would Luke highlight on the first day of the week? And there's a shift in when the disciples are gathering. On the first day of the week, when we gathered... It almost sounds like there's already an established pattern there. On the first day of the week, when we gathered, like that's the day, day we gather, so Luke is writing that, to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now this is why that's funny, because if you know the rest of the story, there's this young guy named Eutychus who's in the window, because kids hang out by windows, he falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies. Paul then goes... Maybe I was preaching too long. Maybe he felt bad. He goes, well, let's heal this guy. Eutychus is raised from the dead after falling from a window, falling asleep while Paul is teaching. That is actually a story, not just about the first day of the week. That's a, that, that is a sub-idea going on to just show, look, they're, they're gathering on the first day of the week. They're there. They're breaking bread. And there's instruction on the first day of the week. They're orbiting around the first day of the week. The story itself, 27, uh, through the rest of that, uh, into Ephesus, is the power of God to heal. It's not about Paul's teaching, though it's late in the night, and of course you would expect people to fall asleep. It's not that Paul's teaching was boring. 
Some people use this as a reason you don't fall asleep in church, right? Like, you know, like that's not, it's not a sermon on how to not fall asleep in church. It's not a sermon on preaching too long or too short. There's nothing there. It's a story, a demonstration of God's power, but the unique observation that the disciples are getting together on the first day of the week. But that's not the only expression of the disciples gathering on the first day of the week. In fact, in uh, the letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, the letter Paul writes to the Corinthian church, remember, a lot of, of the letters that Paul writes include fundraising. There's a fundraising aspect to it. And I don't just mean like, hey, give to the fund so we can do whatever, like here's the GoFundMe for this church. Like, it's not just that. But it's supporting the churches that are nearby. It is bringing offerings to different churches. It includes uh, the support, just the supporting of needs. It's supporting the poor and the needy. And so they're taking up offerings. They're distributing the offerings. They're giving. They're sending people with money to go to places to give to other churches. We just do the same thing often. And sometimes like, we don't want to just transfer the money to somebody. We want to hand them a check. right? There's, like, there's this feeling of like this is from us and it's going to you. Well, the same thing was happening in the Corinthian church, and Paul was giving some instruction on how to set up the offering. How to set up the offering. This happens right at the end of 1 Corinthians, which if you don't stay to the end, right, for the end scene, the end credits of a Marvel movie, you're going to miss out on some important stuff of what's going on. So you don't finish at 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. You read 1 Corinthians to the end, and you see these little statements. Right at the end. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches in Galatia, so he's already given this instruction before, so you also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So give as you're able, right? Give as you are prospered, you give as well. So on the first day of the week, set it aside so that there will be no collecting when I come. He doesn't want to show up and feel as if they now have to be compelled to give. Remember when we were reading last week in 1 Peter, and Peter goes, elders don't lead you know, for greedy gain, for selfish gain. What Paul is trying to do is establish the difference between the raising of funds and his presence. Right? So, so when I get there, the funds are already there. I don't have to show up and you know, kind of go have my meetings and go, hey, would you please give, would you please give, would you please give. The funds are already there. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Which is kind of a, it's just a cool little detail in church life. Set aside the money until I get there on the first day of the week. With something that when, when you gather, set aside the money every time. And then when I arrive, I'll write a letter of the names of the people that you're going. You're going hey, we're going to send Bart and Rock and Melissa. We're going to send them along. And so Paul writes a letter and he would say, you know, I, I, Paul, write this to you, and these three brothers and this sister are going to come together, and they're going to send along, they're coming with the money from the saints in Corinth. He goes, and if you think I need to go too, then we'll all just go together. Which is why, as you read in the book of Acts, we talked about that list of people that are with Paul getting longer and longer. It's like, where did all these people come from? Right, like as you start to read, where did they come from? They came from the churches that were sending money along. So they would all start to travel together, which is just kind of cool, right? This whole, like, traveling posse of generous people ready to give some money to a church. Like, that's neat. Like, most of us can't take weeks or months off to go deliver money to people. But if we could, we would. And so, again, you have, so let's, let's look at this. You have 
gathering in response to the resurrection. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. You have the disciples gathering on the first day of the week. You see that also in the book of Revelation. Didn't, didn't put that there. But there's the, 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 in, on the first day of the week, being together, hear the word, to break bread, to remember the Lord, and to give. And so you already see, again, this is just kind of established pattern. It's not the third day of the week. It's not the fourth day of the week. It's not the fifth day of the week. But this established pattern, at least in regard to how the saints worship, gather in some kind of structure, some way to remember Jesus. They gather on the first day of the week. So we gather in response to the resurrection. Now, we also have, for example, this statement about frequency that doesn't have a day attached to it from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews says it like this, let us not, or let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near, drawing near. And so we have a first day of the week gathering that we see in, in the Corinthian church. We see it in Troas, right? We see that in the Corinthian church, Paul has already instructed the Galatian church when they gather, set aside the money, right? There's no Venmo in the you know, ancient church. They're not going, hey, well, I'm not going to go today. I'll just Venmo it to you. Right? They have to bring real money to a place and set it aside. And so we see this kind of established pattern going. And then we see on the other side, the author of the Hebrews saying to that group of believers, let us consider how to stir one another up, which then demands being together, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but meeting together, encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. I keep taking stuff out of my pockets. I don't know why. I got wallet, phone. I have a mask back here for communion prep. I got it all. So eventually I'll just unburdening myself as I teach. See what else there is. I have another one. I got another mask in this pocket. I got masks galore. Um, we want you to have the best prepped communion around. Uh, but speaking of masks, that's a good time to talk about COVID. Let's do it. Um, so we have then this established pattern of gathering. We have the command, not exhortation, to regularly meet. Not just weekly, but it seems regularly. In the book of Acts, in fact, day by day in the temple courts and from house to house, they meet together, giving thanks. The Lord's adding to their number. So, so it's a fair question that I would ask if I were sitting in your, your seat and uh, that you would ask of me, I would hope, is, okay, well then what happens when, when churches across the globe, right, not in just in spring, uh, or in Texas, or in Louisiana, or uh, churches across the globe drastically adjust the structure of their gathering. For some, the even existence of any expression of their gathering. Well, what happens when that goes on? And I have to say, like, this is something I talk about with my, my ministry friends still. Um, and not because I feel like it's over. It's not over. I, like, you know, I just kind of go, like, fallen world, all kinds of stuff happens. I, like, it's not over. Uh, so I, w- I started to kind of kick the question a couple of weeks ago to people we discussed as elders. You know, and there's always, like, the binary. That's what we want. We want to we know, like, crushed it, failed at it, like that. You know, what, how did the church do? You know, and, or, or was it... Was it, you know, wrong to stop meeting? Or like, and I, this is how I would say it at first, and I'll talk briefly about church stuff. 
let's go to polls, right? Because we always start with polls and because we always want to put ourselves in the middle. Right? It's always what we do. Hey, over here is crazy and over here is crazy, but we want to be right here in between crazy and crazy. Like that's always what we say. So on one hand, there would be uh, believers who would say, nothing ever should have changed ever. Not the location, not the size, not the structure, not the expectation when you gather, nothing. Nothing should have changed. And on the other hand, you, you probably have all the way over here, it's like everything should have changed, right? Like you just kind of crush the church and be done. I don't know how many people exist over here, and I don't know how many people who exist over here, right? We all are putting ourselves, whatever our spectrums are, we're always right there in the middle. And so if we're not all the way over here, nothing ever should have changed ever. And we're not all the way over here, which is everything should have changed. Then we're left, honestly, even today, even today, when you think about it, just stop for a second, just get out of Spring, Texas, think about the church gathered everywhere. You will not get a uniform answer on how the church should operate, even now. You won't get it. You won't get it. And so when the question becomes, well, how did we do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we did. How'd you do? I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know your heart. Uh, how did the larger church do? I don't, I don't know. So a few thoughts about not gathering. I'll speak to our church. I'll speak to, um, I'll speak to maybe larger churches. Because you know, as I talk to missionaries or I talk to friends in other churches or other cities or other states, it's all different. But if, if gathering regularly is, is an established pattern, then it, and, and it, an adjustment to that pattern is a good question to ask. So again, to the question of how do we do, it's going to be underwhelming because you don't know. What is true is what we talked about last week, which is there are going to be a lot of leaders who stand before the Lord and hear from him, accountable for their flocks. So that's far... Uh, more glorious and intense than standing before any church member or congregation. And so everyone has to stand before the Lord and go, well, we're, this is what we did and this is, this is why we did it. I am pretty confident I'm not going to learn until like the last day what happened and, and, and just realize more and all the other areas that I've failed as a pastor or failed as a dad or failed as a husband. I'll, I'll learn all those and then I'll still get ushered in. Right? Like, so, so this isn't life or death. Right? Like, like, this is like, man, that's good to know. Right? If my heart was in the wrong place, or if your heart was in the wrong place, or if all our hearts were in the wrong place, what do we still get? The righteousness of Christ applied to us. So that's, like, that's a rather freeing statement. All right? Righteousness of Christ applied. So with that thing aside, because sometimes we do treat it like a salvation issue, with that aside, here's what I know. Everyone I know assumes that whatever adjustments you might make to a structure are temporary. Temporary. Not ideal, but temporary. Everyone was trying to adjust. You were, we were, other churches were, other pastors were. I was reading of a church. I, know the, I, I don't know the pastor, but I'm familiar with the church. And they just started adjusting their service like back more toward you know, standard operating procedure like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Some people might go, that's crazy. I'm like, that's not crazy. Everyone's trying <laughs> Everyone's trying, right? Like, not crazy to me, everyone's trying. They, they go, I don't know how this works, which again shows God's power, God's sovereignty, and quite honestly, our weakness. So that's all there. So everyone, for the most part, adjusted and tried their best. Thus, 
you see churches trying to accommodate, right? Trying to accommodate however you can. Go, well, what can we do, right? And everyone flips to live stream. We're all going to live stream immediately. It's going on right now. Like in two minutes, what we're saying here hits the internet and everyone gets to see it there. So a less than ideal, but some expression of, of, of something, right? Like, like, like let's, let's provide something. We can't provide nothing. Let's provide something and let's, let's, let's do that. Non-ideal expression, right? I, I have a friend who's really big in like both the theology and technology world. Like big, not like huge name, but big as in that's important to him. Technology and theology. And so he's far looser than I am on like what, what garners an expression of worship. Like what actually is a legitimate expression of the church gather. And so his definition is far different than my own. Um, but still I get to hear him go, man, that's honestly pretty good. So we adjust the gathering, move it online. Some people here, some people not, right? We can always, my friend, my friend David said like this, he goes, hindsight is a terrible liar. You go, hindsight is twenty twenty, but like it teaches you stuff that you go, oh yeah, I would have done this. I'm like, no, we wouldn't have, right? No, you wouldn't have. Oh yeah, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done this differently. I'm like, sure, sure. If you take a year and a half's worth of knowledge and go backwards, sure. But in the moment where everyone's going, what's happening, right? Like, we don't know what we're doing, right? We're kind of all fools. But here was something that was interesting. One of the things that was a burden for us, especially kind of as we got to June, is we don't want to not have communion. Because that is a Christ-given, gathered expression moment. And so we go, well, let's start to provide communion for anybody who wants it. So in the month of June, we started going, anybody who wants us to bring communion, we will go to your house. We'll just treat it like a shut-in experience, right? We will go to your house, and we'll bring communion, and, and we're ready. You put the time you can do that. You sign up. We'll be there. Gloves, masks, whatever you need. We'll have communion prepared, and we'll pray for you, and we'll offer you communion. One family from our church ever took us up on that. One. And so I go, well, okay, well, maybe it isn't that important. Maybe only gathering it with, on our terms is important because when we're actually offering the sacrament, zero people took us up on it. So again, we're back in the spectrum. What is important and what isn't? So we go, well, let's worship on the lawn. I think it was like May. Let's gather together. Let's worship. Let's flip. Let's do outside. Let's do inside. And here's all I know. All that in mind, here's all I know. We need the Lord to return. Because between now and then, it's a lot of people's opinions on what's most important. And when you track it down, it it apparently isn't as important as maybe they thought. And then you start gathering, and people still don't come. It's like, I want the option to go. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. I want the option to go. But I also want to not go whenever I want. You took away my option to not attend. I'm like, oh, okay, right? So, like, what do I know is that first, gathering together is incredibly important. Incredibly important. Nobody, believer, leader, anybody, ever, ever goes, let's just keep this from them. That was the heart of no pastor, no leader, no elder, no anybody that I ever talked to. Let's just keep this from them. Because any adjustment to how you operate, even like going to two services, is a significant family issue, right? 
significant. And so no conversations entered into lightly. But here's the one thing I know, is that in Christ, you, you and I get to stand before the Lord and hear, well done. That's what I know. Right? I don't, I, I don't know a lot of things. But I know that my righteousness and yours in Christ is secured. That we're saved by grace through faith. That every gathering we have from here until the Lord returns is imperfect. That these gatherings are still beset by your sin and my sin. That we still are here and we're non-attentive and we fought with our spouse on the way here and we're angry and we, all we want to do is get home and I want to figure out who LSU's next football coach is. Like we're all dealing with stuff. And we bring it into this room like, and, and, and we go, I need the expression. I'm like, no, we need the Lord. We need the Lord. And so it is. Like, I, I make no projections. That was one thing as we talked about it like our last elder meeting. No projections on what happens next. Zero. I'm over it. I'm not projecting a thing. I'm not projecting a Sunday. I do not know. James says it. I've said the, the Lord wills more times because of, since March 2020 than I care to know. And I joked with a friend. I said, yeah, we'll be there barring no one gets COVID. And he was like, is that like the new if the Lord wills? I said, kind of. I mean, like, like, but I'd say, like, we're at the mercy of God. Even driving here, we're at the mercy of God. That's what I know. And so, are there things we could do better? Yeah. Yeah. In every decision, there are better decisions that could have been made. But we're not going for perfect because Jesus is. So we go, Lord, right? What's best here? We don't know. We're going to trust you. And we pray. I would say this both to us and to anybody. As we gather in whatever structure, in whatever day or whatever age or whatever, whatever, right? A commitment that I do think we can make together is let's do everything we can to make it as possible for as many as possible to be together. Right? Like that, that is a commitment I want us to make together. What can we do to make as many people as possible able to hear about the Lord? And I think the biggest grief I have, and you might have it with me, and that's totally fair, um, is, is people started to make it about them. I think we all did. We all started to make it about us. And what we thought was best. And what we thought was most necessary. And we th- what we thought was right. And what we thought was most glorifying. And in a sense, I'm grateful for that. Because I don't want anybody to do something they think is worse. That's good, right? But for the 80 people or 70 people who are in the room, there's at least 140 opinions. If you multiply that by the amount of opinions that have had been had since you know, over the past two years, there are that many more. Right? Like 2 million opinions on what was best and what would we do differently i'm like i don't know i I can tell you what i think i would have done differently i can tell you what i might do differently in the future but i don't know what i would have done then still but we stand before the lord we belong to him we find ways to gather right we were still doing that finding ways to gather finding ways to be together finding ways to pray meeting outside meeting inside meeting on zoom some on zoom some on zoom like everybody we're still trying to do that aren't we like we're still trying to go how can we how can we do this so I'll have to say it's hard. I know this isn't a sermon on COVID, but like that's in front of everybody. Right? Like everyone's going, well, I can't, I'm so glad that's behind us. Like it's not. Illness is never behind us until the Lord returns. And so it's a part of how we operate.
everybody. It's a part of how everybody operates. Now, like, if your kid sneezes before church, you just don't come. So we all adjust to it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't make a commitment to gather. And in that commitment to gather, we might need to all lay aside some expectations on how it looks, how it feels, how comfortable it is or isn't. We all have to lay some of those things aside so that we can be together. Right? Like, that's the hard part. So that we can be together. All right, well, that was point one of seven. We can do this. We gather in response to the resurrection. That's why it's on Sunday. That was thing number one. And if you take it off the table, you have to have a reason. And your reason might be bad. Or you adjust it. But you still get to stand before the Lord redeemed because you're his. Right? That's the important thing there. You're his. Why do we gather? Let's do some of that. That was when do we gather. Why do we gather? We gather to hear the word. Now, you're going to get next week, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, you're going to get all the Word talk next week, and as we go through four Sundays of the prologue of the Gospel of John. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it again on Christmas Eve. Why do we gather? And, and who was the Word? And Jesus was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was there in the beginning with God. Right? And, then you get all these, like, and in him, not anything that was made was made. Like, like, like not made was made. And you have all these kind of statements that John's making. We gather to hear the Word. Why? Because in the hearing of God's revealed word, we understand the person and work of Jesus. That's why. Because if it's about my opinions or my thoughts or, you know, here's what Hans thinks or here's, you know, here's this. Or there are times we go, there are three ways this could go. I think it's this way. But we want to hear the scriptures. Because not in the scriptures are life. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. You search for the scriptures because you think in them there's life. But it's really life in me. Right? So the scriptures are really the window through which we view the Lord. They reveal him. And so we want to gather to hear the word. Two passages. These are in the pastoral epistles. Paul speaking to people who are in church leadership. And this is what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Give yourself over to the word, the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Which means that those are kind of three different ideas, aren't they? It's one of the reasons you've seen more frequently a reader, especially as our passages get longer. You have a reader up because just hearing the word is good. Right? Like that's the one moment where I can go, that's good. Right? You see the scene in Billy Madison where somebody plays the violin beautifully and then he honks on the clarinet. Right, and then he looks over and goes, he's good. Like that's, what, that's how I feel every Sunday, getting up here and going, that's the word, that's good. That's good. So you hear the scriptures just spoken. Just spoken. Then you hear him say exhortation, right? What would that be? But the, but the challenging of, the, 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 the exhorting, commanding, the, the cheering on, all those words that might go along with the idea of exhorting, they come from the word. And the teaching, giving instruction on the word itself. And in the, in the sermon moment, you kind of get all of those. You get the word read, you get the exhortation given, you get the teaching done, you get all of those in gathered worship. Or you should. You should. 
devote yourself to it. So it's a habit for Paul in his charge to Timothy. And he also gives him this one. This one might be one we're more familiar with from 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we have a reading comment in the first epistle to Timothy. We have a preaching comment in the second, which also includes re- reproof, rebuke, and exhortation with complete patience and teaching. That, that, that giving yourselves over to a local body is going to mean you're going to hear the Bible. If I could just put it that way, like, like the scriptures will be spoken of and the Christ of the scriptures will be worshipped because we need it. We need it. For many of us, and sometimes me too, like this is the one moment where we kind of go, oh yeah, that's what matters. That's what matters. It's like going to the chiropractor, right? Ooh, is that how that's supposed to feel? All right, we kind of live our life for six days sometimes. We get to the seventh day, we're like, I don't even want to go. We show up. And we leave, we go, okay, all right. Jesus is real. His word is true. He can be trusted. So we gather in response to the resurrection. We gather to hear the word. One thing that we do, we gather to sing the word. Sing the truths of Christ. Sing the truths of scripture. We gather to actually sing it. Why? You've shared this before. You've probably experienced this before. Have you noticed that people who have Alzheimer, like severe Alzheimer, if they grew up in church, one of the last things that they will remember are songs that they sang. They might not remember their spouse or their children or their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren. But they can remember songs that were sung. Music has a way of embedding itself into us. Song has a way of embedding itself into us. Like things we have never experienced before. Look at this from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And I love this. And be thankful. It's like the dad. Just be, can you just be thankful? Be thankful. I actually have that verse written on a list. And it, the list basically says, thank God for things. Using Colossians 3.15 as my reminder. Thank God. Be thankful. Like just, just, just find always. Thank God, thank God for. And sometimes like, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for food, thank you for the drive home, thank you that you got us home safely, thank you that this is going on, thank you that we have a roof over our heads. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. So we just kind of live that out and be thankful. Let the word of Christ. And it's not just. And what I mean, this is a weird thing. It's not just like memorize the words. Because it's always through, right? Like in the understanding and the comprehension of the words, we recognize who Jesus is. There are many people who have Bible verses memorized who don't know Jesus. Right? So it's not just about memorizing the construction of letters on a page. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, which seems almost animated, doesn't it? Right? Let those truths stay in you. Let them dwell richly, which means you have to give yourself over to it. 
so that it can dwell richly, so that it can be what you speak about. So when somebody in your church family says, hey, this is what I'm going through, you give them truth and not just garbage, right? Like you want to give them things that matter. And so it doesn't, it can't do that if it's not dwelling in you. It's not staying in you, residing in you. That's not about salvation. It's about the truths that exist or embodied in Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week, right? One of the things when Jesus is the word, like there's this word play that, that John does. It means lots of different things. One of it means Torah, right? The instruction. He was the instruction of God. That in seeing Jesus, you see what walking with God was supposed to be. You see the full-on non-sinful, perfect embodiment of walking with God, and it took God himself to be that. Let those truths dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Christ is the wisdom of God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let peace rule. Be thankful. Let the word dwell. Teaching and admonishing. Singing. Right? We gather to sing the word, to remember the word, to let those truths of scripture dwell within us. One of the things that's beautiful about even early church expression, the creedal nature of the church, like saying things like the Nicene Creed, was in part to instruct, instruct people on these truths, especially if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, right? No one's whipping out their phone and pulling up Bible Gateway or version. They're not bringing these. They're gathering together. They may not even be able to read, but they're being instructed in the truths of God so that they can remember what to hold on to. It's not so they can create some layer of church expression that's a pain. No, so they can remember these truths. Grabbing on to them, holding on to them. So we gather to sing this word. It's part of allowing for it to dwell in you richly. Being together, hearing it taught, singing it. All of this is about the word, Christ. Not the words, the word that second person of the Trinity. Gratitude for our salvation, being rooted in him, singing those truths. You will remember very little from what I say today, but you will probably be able to remember the words of how great thou art. They stay. You repeat them, you remember them, you sing them. Now, it's funny because you, you can go back to like early church people who were criticizing melodies that moved too much. Right? They'd hate our expressions. They'd hate them. They'd be like, no, 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 you can only go up and down uh, you know, on the scale so much because people can't sing that, hard, that, that much. Right? They can't sing, it's too difficult for them. So you bring into our expression, right, or the, you know, whatever you might pull up on Spotify worship, like that's going to be like, what in the world is this? Some of you might feel the same way. Right, but, when, but, but here's, the, here's the filter. Is it true? Is it true? Now, because even our singing is not, you're usually not just singing like, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend, like we're not doing that. And so as we hear words, we might hear poetic license. We might hear some kind of communication of an idea. We're like, oh, no, I don't know if I'd say it like that. Okay. 
right? There's always error in our gatherings. We have to, we have to hold on to that. There is. But there's one person who doesn't have it. Right? There's always error when we gather. In fact, many guys who preach, they'll go, hey, Lord, just you know, anything I say that I wasn't supposed to say, just make everybody forget it. And whatever I was supposed to say, just make them remember it. Like I, you, you'll hear preachers preach that on a Sunday. I never preach that because I'm like, I want you to remember the dumb stuff and the good stuff because it's not about me anyways. So you can remember the stupid things I say too. Hold it against me later. Now, we gather in response to the resurrection. We gather to hear the word. We gather to sing those truths of the word, to be together, to be thankful, to allow these things to root deeply in us. And we gather to remember the word. We'll go there in just a moment. The remembering of the word is the taking of communion. That's what I mean here. Remembering, because Jesus gave his church baptism and the Lord's Supper two ways to remember him. One is the remembrance of our identification with him, the initiation rite into the church family, baptism. So I'd say, if you're following Jesus today and you have not been baptized, you should probably pursue it, right? Because like, it, it, was, it was a... It was the way the early church would identify who is and isn't a Christian. Like, if you're going to say, yes, I will follow, in that declaration of my identity is with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes, I profess that truth. I identify myself not with my idols, but with Father, Son, and Spirit. That's a breaking, a severing of former identity and new identity. So it's that initiation right. It is not your saving right. But it recognizes you, identifies you with those who call in the name of the Lord Jesus. The second is the Lord's Supper. When he says, do this in remembrance of me. And he reconstitutes the Passover meal. In all the other elements that might have existed, he takes the bread and the cup. He takes the bread and the cup. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is spilled for you. It hadn't even happened yet. Right? And so he's taking these elements and he's redefining them for a people. So he's saying, yes, the Lord saved you, the Jewish people, saved you from Egypt, out of your slavery, into a new land. But Christ saves us from our sins. But he saves us from our sins. And so we gather to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Remember that our sins are forgiven. Remember that in him is life. You'll probably hear this read shortly, but this is what we have, the instruction of even the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, Paul was, in a sense, confronting the Corinthian church for making the Lord's Supper about them. Making it about their hunger and their needs and their desires and elbowing out people who couldn't get there in time because maybe they had to work. I don't know, right? Like, they had to, the, like the rich could get there and they could eat and they could feast and those who, there were others who could not participate. <clears throat> and he was saying, when you gather, this is not the Lord's Supper you're taking. You're doing something else altogether. So he brings it back and goes, Let me, this is what I teach, that we do this in remembrance of Jesus. 
And that's where he's like, so wait on one another. That's what he says. So wait for one another. Let everybody get there. So you can remember together. Did they all use little thimbles? No. No. You know, some people still slamming back, right? Big chalices of wine. Like, here you go, here you go. They probably didn't use big chalices like that either, right? So, like, we're all trying to go, how do we express this truth? We gather to remember. The Lord's Supper commemorates Christ's death for us. When we gather together, we take it and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's going to be a central part of what we do. We take it. We take it together. That's why even, you know, back in 2020, we wanted to offer it. Come, we have to remember him. We have to remember him. So let's do that. So we remember. In response to the resurrection, I want to hear the word. I want to sing these truths. I want to remember the work of Jesus. And so all I would say is this. Can we... Commit to gather. Can we make it a commitment? That we hold loosely an expression, but we hold tightly to the need, the value. Hold loosely to the expression, tightly to the value. And by that, I mean this. On your calendar, many of you do this, and I just want to say thank you. On your calendar, it doesn't get elbowed out by other things. Right? It's on there. No, this is what we do. As a priority, meaning you make adjustments to your life so that, right? Some, some people want to, like, Google family doesn't go out a lot on Saturday nights. You guys can do that, party hard, whatever you want. But, like, we usually start, we usually start shutting down. You'll usually find me at home. you usually find me just kind of being there. Why? Because I don't want to affect what happens here by some bonehead decision I make last night. So it gets priority in even how I plan the day before it. On the calendar, as a priority, and I would say this, recognizing it as a significant part, not an exclusive part, a significant part of your life as a disciple. I can say this, I'm going for my coffee, which isn't there, I don't need it. I don't know what happens when you're not present. Or like, like, like meaning like, I don't, I don't know what would have happened differently. Like, so I don't, I, had you been here, I don't know exactly what would have happened differently, but it'd be different. It'd be different because you're here. When you aren't present, I could say it like this, when you aren't present, I know you're not present. We know you're, like, like, whatever might be going on, whatever the Lord might be doing, right, like, it's a net loss for us. Even if you go, oh, well, I'm not that important, or I don't really participate that much, like, that's not, right, like, being here, being here, being together, we can shine brightly for the Lord. We can remember him. And honestly, I need it. I need your light. I need your heart for God. I need to be taught and instructed by you. I need your faithfulness as well to walk with him better. So that's what I say. Let's commit to be a faith family together. Commit together. And wherever you might be, wherever the Lord might lead you, whatever, like, wherever those spaces might be, commit to gather. Not for you, but for the Lord. For the Lord. 
Not because he needs it, doesn't need you, oh, please, please come, but because he's worth it. Because he's worth it.